Welcome back to another Ghost Call Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Kivi. Today's podcast is an interview with Philly and Domo from Gababall. Ghost Cult Magazine and the Ghost Cult Mag podcast welcomes in Philly and Domo from Gamabomb. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're doing good. Hey, Keith. We're great. Hey. Man, thank you. Nice to awesome. be here. Yeah, nice to have you. Uh, welcome back. It's been it's been a minute. Um, you guys had some changes in, in the band and in life, and now you guys are coming back strong with this brand new album, Sea Savage, on Prosthetic Records in December. So we're super stoked. And uh, yeah, man, let's let's catch up with you guys since the last time we heard from you, uh, leading up to this album. Yeah, great. Yeah, uh, great, great to be back. A lot to talk about, man. Right on. Um, just kind of you know, dialing it back for a second. I obviously got some changes in some, the lineup and the band, but I think I don't think there was ever a period of time where like there was no, you know, of course the band was going to come back and do more music, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, years ago we found ourselves in a similar situation years ago where we didn't have a record label and, you know, a core member of the band left uh, back when Luke, our, our guitarist, left the band back in, oh, geez, what was that, Donald, like 2012 or whatever? 2011, 2012, something like 11, that. 2012. And, you know, I think at that time, it was very much like, okay, we've got to fight to survive here and overcome this because, it, you know, those were kind of career-ending injuries in some way. But I think this time you know we were i think we had much more resolve this time that you know it wouldn't be <clears throat> it wouldn't be the end of the band like it was very sad that paul our drummer had left the band after 15 years but uh i you were like on my side anyway i don't know i don't think there was any doubt that we were going to come back and, and do another record no i don't think so i think we well we had a lot we had a long time um paul gave us like a lot of notice before he left and stuff so we kind of had our like little grieving period and stuff before he'd even really left the band, you know? Yeah, we kept, uh, you know, going playing festivals and then getting drunk and asking him sad questions. <laughs> you know, like, these days. Oh, why are you leaving the band, man? You know? <laughs> but, uh, Alec, that's what happens when you're friends, you know? But, uh, yeah, so like things things changed a lot, but in other ways, things haven't changed at all because we're just back, back as they say, on our bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And I'm so glad you are, because what we need in this dreadful dumpster fire of a year is stuff to make us smile, stuff to make us headbang, stuff to make us laugh and and forget about our troubles for a while. And I think that's uh, what the crew aboard the SS Gamma Bomb has done on this fun, fun, fun record, man. Absolutely, man. You know, we normally write kind of uh, topical songs, political songs and stuff and, you know, have a vein of seriousness running through things. And I think on this record, it wasn't really deliberate, but the fact that this album is just about pure escapism and nonsense, I think that itself is probably... Yeah, a I haven't even thought about that yet. But yeah, that's yep. true. There's literally nothing... Nope. Nothing topical or serious or no, anything. First, first record with no political songs on it. And I think maybe that's just a symptom of where our heads are at. You know, we wanted to escape. We literally made the album in our houses. So, you know, we wanted in our minds, we wanted to get out and sail the seven seas and, you know, live out our movie fantasies and stuff. So, yeah, I think that comes across in the record. Absolutely. Right on. And let's talk about that. You know, the band has always been kind of DIY, whatever label situation you had, you've mm -hmm. always been a very, just very close to the underground to your roots. And so I wanted to talk about the sound of the record because it sounds great. And I, if you hadn't told me you did this kind of very independently, uh, you know, recording style, I wouldn't have known because it sounds tight. 
Well, look, man, that's a big compliment to the other guy on this call, Domo Dixon, who produced the record. All right. Yeah. I mean, uh, Domo, tell us a bit about that. Tell us a bit about how did you work your magic? Um, it was very, very difficult because, you know, we have the lockdown and stuff. So um, it's kind of thing that we've been talking about for a long time is just like kind of um, like even the last couple of albums I kind of produced the guitars and stuff like that and you know sort of taking over a few little duties here and there we've always kind of we've always kind of wanted and then basically this time around I guess a lot of it was probably to do with uh, Scott or sort of I suppose our Gamma Bomb Sixth Beetle or whatever he's a uh, he, he wasn't around this time uh, I think was that the main reason we didn't go with him well I think he wasn't well, available actually, I think we were just going to get Scott to mix weren't we and then yeah, I was going to produce anyway. Yeah, but yeah, we've been, we've been talking about it basically for years, and uh, we just decided this time to give it a go, and then we sort of committed to it, <laughs> and then lockdown happened. So then it was like, oh, okay, this is going to be this is going to be really difficult. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, but we did it, and we we got through it, and it was actually really nice to self produce the album this time uh, under like more difficult circumstances than would be normal. Because it means when we go to do the next album, it's going to be it's going to be so easy, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, famous last words, but yeah, I think ever since we made like Citizen Brain, Domo has ended up kind of recording bits and bobs of guitar at home and stuff, and I think that was the kernel of this. Um, I think in in terms of the sound of the record, you know, we always we always look out for different kind of guitar tones and, and albums that are reference points. You know, um, what was and I'm never I'm never as involved in those conversations because I'm such a basic bitch when it comes to you know production techniques and stuff. But like Domo, what what did we what did you shoot for sound wise? Well, actually, this time was kind of a little bit different because uh, this time we just said, right, let's. <clears throat> I guess it's kind of technical, but there's like uh, the guitar tone is like uh, we we never really had a JCM uh, 800 uh, Marshall amp, which we've been talking about for years. So we said this time, right, we'll get the JCM 800. Because uh, we <clears throat> we got the drums back, and the drums are sounding absolutely amazing. So we got, um, yes. okay, well, anyway, look, it's too technical and boring, but basically we kind of got our dream dream guitar amp. We said, right, we'll just do it this way. And then basically the idea was we just said, right, let's just kind of record everything and we'll kind of put it up on the speakers and see how it sounds. If it's totally terrible, we'll tear it back down and then we'll say, right, let's make it sound like, you know, um, Rust in Peace or whatever, whatever it was going to be. Well, there was literally no need this time. It was just... It just came out the way the way we recorded it. You know, there was no um, there was no expectations. We just said, "Let's just go for it." And uh, yeah, it was really, really happy how it came out. Yeah. And to be honest, I I think from now on, we've always been creatures of habit. You know, we worked with Scott, as Damo said, who made the last five albums, and it's like uh, now that we've made this ourselves. You know, as long as Domo has has his mouse clicking finger uh, able, you know, like I think we'll definitely just keep doing it ourselves. You know, um, it it seems like I always say, you know, a lot of the bands who we respect who have been around for a long time, like Priest and stuff, they self produce their records. You know, so it's uh, it's great to be able to get to that kind of stage for us. It makes it, as you said, it's more about being DIY. Now we can be DIY, but you know, 
DIY doesn't mean photocopied posters anymore, and that means you can make kick-ass records on your own. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. But you know, there's we also, also there's also the thing as well where, um, like, <clears throat> when like there's always a temptation when you're recording an album and you have a producer to sort of take your foot off the pedal because you know some some other guy is kind of driving the ship because it's a especially heavy metal of all genres. It's a really really difficult sort of a genre to record so you always kind of have the option of kind of going ah look, you know scott will look after that or whatever you know yeah but this time we didn't have that option so it was kind of scary and uh quite nice as well like the quite nice to get that kick in the ass you know to just be like well the book the book stops with us you know yeah. as opposed to like because you know some days you're recording you might have done like 11 hours in the studio and you just want to go home and Scott was a great man for, you know, <laughs> saying, nope, not good enough, not good enough. It has to be better, it has to be better. Yeah, but Dom, Dom got some of that discipline. Like, you know, you were not you were not an easy taskmaster on the record either. There's one, there was no. one track we recorded for this album where we did 200 vocal takes, you know. Um, what? 200? Yeah. And hey, get this, right? The song isn't on the album. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what the heck? Did it just not fit the album, or yeah, it's just it's just like it, there was just, yeah, it's a B side for the Japanese release and stuff. It's called uh, "Shut Up and Shout," which is an amazing name for a song, but um, <laughs> it just kind of didn't it just kind of didn't fit with the other stuff in the same way. So it's kind of now the cousin of those songs, you know. Um, but uh, two hundred takes, man. You know, did we do all two hundred takes in one one day, or was that two I sessions? Think, uh, I think it might have been two sessions. But it could have been one day. I don't know. And it's all it's all a blur of standing in my garage in a blanket for it in my pants. Yep. And that was all lead vocals too, wasn't it? Like, you know, oh, it wasn't, uh, wasn't no backing vocals or anything. It was obviously no backing vocals. tracks. I would say I worked harder on this record by a country mile than I worked on any other record. Like demoed it in high detail demoing you know the backing vocals writing rewriting the vocals and then like we recorded we you know we were tracking like bastards making this record like their songs was like you know things that every other band takes for granted we were doing on this record that we've never done before like each course is slightly different every time and you know there's different takes and there's different layering of the voice and all this kind of thing and we'd never done never done any of that before it was an enormous amount of work and look at what we've got to show for it There you go. Nice. It's more of a hard work thing as well, isn't it? Kind of where you're tempted to kind of go, let's just do the same thing for the next verse and move on, you know? Yeah. And like, well, I felt a lot of that responsibility this time around where I kind of had to be the Scott and just say, nope, not good enough. Yeah. Let's yeah. do this. And it's hard sometimes because people can be kind of annoyed at you. I remember being annoyed at Scott sometimes, you know? Yeah, man. So people were like, oh, man, really? We have to do a different course this time. This, this is what we have to do, you know? Anyway, sorry, we're just interviewing ourselves now, Keith. No, I like you guys are my two new my new sidekicks. I love it. We're gonna do every interview uh like this from now on. I have uh Boontooth <laughs> later on and then some guys from LA and then yeah, we're gonna do it like that. But um I was gonna say <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll phone you guys in on Skype and we'll just group interview everybody. It's awesome. Yeah. Send us Helping your- me 
Yeah, send us the check afterwards. Yeah, just uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Send pass by pass, Paul. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't have that loud wire money or anything though. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, I'm glad you talked so much about the vocals because actually, this is, you know, in my opinion, probably Philly your best work. Some of the vocal lines on this thing are crazy, like uh, Miami Super Cops and she's not my mother, Todd, and you know, Hellfire Club and Rusty Jaw. We could talk about also and Ready Steady Go. There's like some crazy vocal, just like dare vocal stuff that a lot of people don't do they don't even try to do in have even in heavy metal they don't try to do it so it's awesome thank you man thank you very much i really appreciate that thank you i mean yeah i guess it's kind of like it's hard to talk about this album in isolation you know it's like the last record was in many ways the start of me getting my mojo back after a long time of having a vocal injury um where i didn't really have my head voice back that falsetto high pitch kind of operatic thing and with the last album the kind of that suddenly that pipe was unblocked you know and i was able to start doing these little bits of kind of halfordy stuff and i had my falsetto back and it was very like hey here it is and i think on this record it was like right i've now got a full toolkit i think i have quite a mature approach to how i use my voice and you know i kind of picked those things and i said okay i've got that halfordy voice where could that work you know uh i've got more of like an old school punky voice what song would that work on and stuff and you know and then from there on in man it was just a matter of preparation you know um like there were definitely days that were tough on recording it um on recording vocals there was a couple of days where i had to produce myself um because damo had to like you know run interference on other stuff that was going on and like i remember one night and this is during lockdown you know so like one night i had a couple of beers and i wouldn't normally now drink much when I'm recording and I had a couple of beers that night and the next day I went out to the garage and I think I was doing Todd and Jesus my head was just killing me and I was standing in the garage being like after every take the pressure headaches were killing me and I was like man I just I, and I actually just hung up the headphones I was like I can't fucking do this and I like messaged the band chat being like lads I'm I can't do it anymore I'm just dying and, and I think at least two of the other lads were like I'm hung over too don't worry about it <laughs> so like you know it's it was a real um <laughs> It was a real. We were, we were almost every day. Like we think we did like seven days a week for like nearly a month on just vocals, wasn't it? Like I think uh, we we did something every day for well yeah. a month. We started like the last vocals I did, the last catch ups and vocals I did were in late August, and we started in June. So like there was two months worth of on and off vocals and like July was pretty much every single day. I think we took one day off your girlfriend's birthday. We took that off. Mm, that's right yeah 19th of july or whatever that was we took that off and uh that's it man like we we like we were just drilling it but like i i think what we got out of it is is great i think you know it's also that's also a result as well of the skills improvement and it's kind of it was the same with everybody too like like uh, joe put in like a really really amazing performance too and what ended up happening was it's kind of like it got easier to like I mean, I didn't even really think of tracking this time because I was so busy doing uh, doing the production end of things that I just kind of laid down on like you know all the albums we've done beforehand, and because you build up a lot of skill by just doing when you repeat something over and over and over and over and over again many times, you just kind of build up a sort of a muscle. But I noticed this time everyone was really good, but then in turn that kind of made me think, well, everybody's kind of better at doing this now so i can kind of push people harder again yeah so it's like you're putting in the same amount of effort as we always have 
but we're getting better results kind of easier in a this, weird way. This one, this one went to 11, basically. <laughs> and, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, the kind of vocal style that people don't really do. There's two things about that. One, I can only ever be what I am, you know, like my voice has limitations. And as I always say, like all my favorite singers aren't nice singers, uh, but they have strong voices, you know, Shane McGowan, uh, Joy Ramone, um, Bob Dylan, Bobby Blitz, <clears throat> you know, all these people like, and I, I kind of feel like uh, while I do not fit into that league, I fit into the category, you know, my voice is strong, but it's not particularly nice. So like what, what comes out is just what comes out and I can shape it a little bit. I can play with it a little bit. I can train it up, but you know, I am what I am. And the other thing is I, I don't have a lot of context for what happens in metal. You know, like I listen to a lot of classic metal and then I listen to a lot of music that's from outside that, you know, and obviously I've heard the likes of Power Trip and stuff and I'm very like, oh yeah, cool. You know, that that's that's cool singing. Like, but I don't I don't have a frame of reference anymore. I just kind of, it weirdly, I kind of, um, sometimes assume characters while I'm singing. So like me and Dom would be tracking something and we would say, you know what, this needs, uh, you know, this needs, needs to be more frightened. <laughs> yeah. Or like, uh, yeah. Or we would literally like adopt a singer's person. We'd be yeah. like, you need to be sing it as if you have a gigantic German mustache, you know, yeah. or sing this as if you're Mike Patton. And then we would do a Mike Patton, you know, yeah. so some, sometimes you literally are being another singer where you're like, I'm going to Mike Patton this one. And then you, you kind of, play the character of Mike Patton while you sing it or you're That's like it. it still comes out as you because it's your your pipes or whatever you know like, yeah, all, so. all, those, all those things are so useful in the studio to be able to just say like literally a small instead of having to explain stuff or like yeah. you know try and tease it out it's like no just just try and sound a bit like Dio this time like yeah, and, and it's one of the it's one of the most interesting things about singing and you know especially making records is you're always to an extent kind of acting and the person who's producing you is kind of the director you know when you're singing there's always a little bit of a because the other thing with like bass and drums and the guitars and stuff it's like it's basically wrong or it's right and there's not a huge is it is it in time and in tune or is it not you know but with singing it can, it's like it's never really wrong in a way like sometimes you can do something weird or you know something happens and then take is kind of messed up and you kind of go back and listen to it and you go oh actually i kind of like the way you know you you kind of come in late on that line and blah 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 so it is a lot more like uh it is like acting it it is i kind of taught myself as as a director a lot of the time you know yeah yeah so it was it was like because it doesn't have to be technically correct it just has to be cool you know? yeah so yeah yeah awesome awesome i don't want to leave you out either Damo. i wanted to ask you with uh luke kind of stepping away except for the guest spot did you change your approach at all on the writing or recording of uh you know guitar parts or leads or anything um not really um <clears throat> i guess like well well, this time John sort of took more of a hand on the um, on the rhythm guitars this time because usually we kind of go half half and whatever. This time we kind of went maybe like I did a third and John did two thirds because I was producing and stuff as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of like what I was saying earlier when you took, when you've done this thing so many times, it kind of just come you just kind of rely on your old sort of skills that you've built up. You know, there was nothing. I'm trying to think. There's nothing really. Cr- I mean, really, the hardest part for me was because John was John was in London recording a lot of the guitars, and I was here in Dublin. 
So there was a lot of back and forth and then me having to sort of review his parts and stuff, which was, I mean, it was like pulling teeth. It was really sort of agonizing. The kind of stuff that you could sort out in one minute. If you're in the studio, you would just say, no, no, just do that. And you go, oh, okay, that's fine. Take but when you're doing it back and forth through emails and video messages and stuff, it's really, really difficult. I, I think there was a bit of a difference this time. Obviously, Luke, Luke has been out of the band for a little while but I still think there was a difference this time around to how the two guys work together. I think they've definitely met in the middle more on, you know, uh, sharing and exchanging solos. Um, and I think there's some other riffs on the record, like the riff in the middle of Sea Savage and stuff that have weird um, harmonies to them and stuff, you know, that that have kind of interesting weird harmonies. And I think like there, there's definitely a big, like it felt very significant at the time of writing. It was very like, whoa, this is different to lads. John, John really did a great job this time around as well. Like he really, uh, he really kind of pulled out his kind of writing hat this time because John has always wrote stuff, but this album I think he must have wrote like what four songs or like yeah. kind of an e- equal yeah. an equal share this time so like brilliant like Sea Savage just as you say like that was that's a I think John wrote every single every single riff on that song you know yeah and like you know we as a band we share equally in songwriting credits so you know all songs are music and lyrics by Gamma Bomb or whatever but like uh, on this record in terms of individuals bringing songs to the table it was much more equal than anything since Citizen Brain it was just everybody had three or four songs God help me I even wrote some riffs that didn't make it to the album everybody can calm down (laughs) but like you know, everybody had to, everybody had ideas to bring to the table. And yeah, like JR's writing is amazing. One, one of my favorite songs in the record is She's Not My Mother, Todd. I think Joe's riffs mm. in that song are amazing. Like, uh, and, and when I heard it, I was like, man, do not edit this. Like the demo was this bizarre shape, like a Roy Orbison song where nothing repeats really. And, you know, it's very unclear what the point of the music is. And I was like, let's keep the lyrics too. Yeah. yeah like, jumbled, jumbled mess of absolute madness. Yeah, like, yeah, Joe, yeah, that's that's the song Joe wrote lyrics for in this record. And it's like such an amazing, confusing melange of Terminator 2 references. Like, you know, Joe is a very, Joe is his own way of looking at the world, you know, and his own way of interpreting the events of Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Um, And uh, yeah, so that, like, it was cool though, because it was such a weird, weirdly shaped song. And uh, then just crazy lyrics that had, like, you know, usually when you write lyrics, you know, the next sentence will you know, somehow, somehow be related to the one before rhythmically or whatever. And this was just like a sort of a, like, a, I don't know, like a, a brain fart of just like here is just a load of stuff. And then Philly kind of took it upon himself to he just kind of said, right, I'm just going to take this mad pile of lyrics and just sort of shoehorn it all into the song and make it fit, which <laughs> I was really, really happy about because it makes it seem more deranged and crazy, you know? <laughs> Whereas if we had ironed out all the things and, Very you know, nice. set it up to our other songs, it, it would have been fine. But, yeah. like, the, the person narrating the song is clearly completely mad. So it's just really good <laughs> to have this frenetic sort of insanity. Like, you know? Yeah. I, and, you know I really like, like it. Well, like, lyrically, it's probably my favourite tune in the album. And I think the riffs are totally awesome as well. Like, you know, yeah. I think top, you know, top, top one or two or three for me, like, Gamma Bomb records are, you know, to people outside the band, Gamma Bomb records are probably like lining up a load of penguins and saying which one is the sexy penguin, you know, it's like they all <laughs> seem fucking identical, but like inside the band we agonise over things quite a lot and like to my mind 
while remaining the same, this is the most different record I think that we've ever made. We took a lot of small bets and we changed a lot of small things. We changed how it was written. We changed how it, how it was recorded. We changed how the singing was done. The guitar playing was shared out more. You know, like to my mind, this is a very uh, distinct thing, you know, and uh, I'm hoping that the next time we'll make a record, even if it's just in our own estimation, that we'll be able to advance that again for ourselves, you know. Yeah. So long as we just do it in the studio next time. I'm not over the <laughs> right. Obviously, you want to keep it interesting for the fans and yourself. So I really appreciate all that stuff. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, Graham Humphreys artwork, man, for Sea Savage. What a what a head scratcher and uh, <laughs> an incredible tableau for a snowy mascot. <laughs> Very kind way of putting it. <laughs> so look, uh, I love the art. I think it's one of our best album covers. Absolutely love. I don't think there was any question that the Graham was going to be able to to deliver. Um, all, all, all these ideas about you know maritime things were kind of uh, percolating, and. Snowy, you know, I think Snowy on the last album, we were like, look, we've always talked about Snowy and, and now he's here with us kind of thing. And I think he went down so well, particularly when we went to Japan last year, it was just like, OK, Snowy's here to say, let's put him on the cover now. Let's make him our Eddie. Let's, you know, let's make a big deal out of him. Let's start, you know, using him as our, our way of telling a story. And basically we went to Graham and we were like, OK, so the theme of the album is Victorian maritime horror. And he's like, OK. And you have to put a Yeti on it. And he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so there's the, here's the Yeti and you're going to, the Yeti goes on the, the, the sea, the Yeti's in the sea and that's it. And, he, and like, you have to hand it to him. He was just like, I can do that. He has drawn weirder things than that, you know? Yes. Um, but like, Graham is such a, he's such a, um, <clears throat> he's such an incredible person to work with. His positivity, his enthusiasm, his can-do attitude, but also his frame of reference is extremely deep. You know, um, like when I had the phone call with him to brief him for the art, I was saying to him, yeah, man, you know, I've, you know, I've been, uh, I've been really read Moby Dick and I've watched The Lighthouse and we we'll have all these ideas and it's very like maritime. And he was just like, oh man, I love these horror short stories by this guy. And it turned out he had just finished reading the same book I had finished reading William Hope Hodgson's stories and uh, you know so lots and lots of things clicked like we had a lot of happy coincidences like I was saying um, you know one of my favorite paintings uh, is the raft of the Medusa, you know, the really famous one that was the cover of rum, sodomy and the lash by the Pogues. Um, well, a, a modified version of it was, and he was just like, yep, it's my favorite painting. So when you, when you go back and look at the album cover, the lighting in the sky is the light from the raft of the Medusa. So he replicated the lighting of that uh, painting to, to try to bring this kind of dusk light, open sea, you know, burning skies kind of thing. So there's a, a lot of depth in there you wouldn't see you know <laughs> at first glance <laughs> but um i think it's as soon as he sent back the sketch like damo we were all just like fucking look at this this is perfect you know yeah. it's so nice because as well we kind of had a bit of a bad run and stuff as well with art on the art side of things and stuff and i was just like i don't even know i don't even know why we didn't think of graham because like our favorite uh, album covers before that were done by him as well and yeah. just didn't use him for speed between the lines for whatever reason. And then, uh, yeah, and then we got him back in. And I was just like, <clears throat> it's like um, Joe's brother does uh, our um, inlay and all our design stuff as well. And it's so nice 
have a thing you don't have to worry about because most things when you're in a band is like if you don't do it yourself it's not going to be done right if you kind of farm it out to someone else yeah. and Rory, Rory and Graham it's like it's just so nice to get back a thing that's even better than you kind of were hoping it was going to be you know yeah. as opposed to like going oh no it's going to need this it's going to need this <laughs> you know and you can only call you can only recall a sort of piece of art uh, so many times as well before the artist is just like I, I don't care what you're saying you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you know it felt like to work with Graham again was kind of like a homecoming as Domo says it was just like right the last album we the art was something of a compromise I still think the art has something to it on the last record you know it certainly has a feeling but like it wasn't what well, we didn't know what we wanted so we didn't get what we wanted you know whereas with this we had an idea and then graham finished that idea for us you know he was the other piece of the puzzle did we, did we give him the list did we give graham the list the big massive list of all the ideas of the stuff to go on the cover or did we narrow it down and tell him we gave him a narrow list of stuff. We were like, okay, so things like an octopus, uh, sea mines, lighthouse, maybe, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And and he, he came back. The, the driftwood, yeah. all the sort of classic yeah, sunken heads. And then he kind of, we were saying to him, look, I don't know, this could be sort of, uh, you could do it almost like an emblem, like a shield on the cover made out of these things. Like, uh, you know, um, like the way Ishwa Killen is my business or whatever. Or you could do, you know, uh, or or we could do it as a scene. And he was like, look, here it is. It's the raft of the Medusa plus the lighthouse plus this and that. And it was just really amazing. You know, art, art and design is, it's massively important for us. And we're lucky to have the help of people like that. I think the cover of this album is amazing, but it only tells half the story. The inlay for the vinyl and the CD are amazing. They're done like Victorian theatre posters. There's full credits as though the album is a play. Um, there are engravings of each of the band members done like 19th century um, lithographs of each of the band members and stuff. So like our commitment to it, like... Our it's quite funny, dude. What's that? It's quite funny, too. There's some hilarious stuff in there. Yeah, there's like some funny stuff inside the album cover. And, you know, I think if people are going to buy the the vinyl or the CD, you know, it has to be worth the while. And, and also we're the kind of people who, you know, we're born nerds. Like we, you know, we, we can never have a blank space that we don't fill with something. Every space has to be filled with some idea. And then you have to argue like fuck about what that idea is, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Nice. Uh, not only, yeah, I'm so excited about this artwork, and not only is the cover great, there's a press photo of you guys looking positively adorable with Snowy in your seafaring outfits and pea coats and stripy shirts and caps. And strangely, I find, not only do I want to hug Snowy in this photo, I find myself strangely attracted to a Yeti, and I don't know why, but I am. Because, <laughs> you know, Snowy, since the last record, his divorce has come through, he's done a bit of CrossFit, he looks a bit meaner, yeah. he looks a bit better built now and i think a well, lot of you feel good about that yeah he, he'll feel good about that you know he likes to be complimented about his body you know um he's a confident uh single man who don't need no woman you know um but uh yeah so like we we got those photos taken when we shot the video in donegal here in ireland right up at the north coast in september uh basically during a crazy storm like a, a summer autumn storm <laughs> And uh, just out of shot, there were lots of uh, tourists <laughs> and they were pretty confused. But uh, <laughs> a behind, behind the scenes fact, all those clothes are just our clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Bunch I of weird Waldo shirts. I own a lot of striped <laughs> shirts. <laughs> 
<clears throat> well, you guys look great, and you and the record sounds great. I'm 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 liking the whole package: nice. lyrics, artwork, songs. Just really quick as we start to wind this down, I'm sure you guys got other calls today, um, or beers to drink, and um, and both. Um, <laughs> You know, obviously, you guys are coming up on the 20th anniversary in a few years, and just kind of, I feel like, uh, in terms of where you guys started to where you are now, obviously, the band has been on kind of a journey. At the time, you guys broke. There was this big neo pizza thrash thing happening between sure. America and Europe, especially the UK, and now you guys have really kind of refined what you are, broken out of that sort of a thrash ghetto to be a lot more than that and be kind of a, a more traditional heavy metal band with some thrash influence. And so I just wanted to kind of pick your brains about your feelings about that and sort of any reflections on, you know, how, you know 20 years at anything is insane. So it, it the is, fact that you guys have made it in music is crazy. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. Like um, when we started the band, I mean, very, very back at the start, uh, when we were just in Uri, we, you know, we didn't even think about it in terms of will this be around for ages. We knew we were enthusiastic about it. You know, we knew that we enjoyed doing it together, that we made each other laugh. Um, but our ambitions were very small. And I can tell you what the ambitions were. We wanted to have a T-shirt. We wanted to have a CD, like a demo. We wanted to play a show outside Uri in Belfast. And then after that, we wanted to play a show in Dublin. And that was the list of ambitions. That was all we wanted to do. And then as we got each one of those things, we just like kind of, you could see a little bit further each time, you know, got the t-shirts done. So we were like, oh man, we've got t-shirts now. And you know, your brother's wearing one or whatever. And there's like 10 t-shirts. And then we were like, you know, now, oh, let's get some buttons made. And then we got the buttons made. And then we played the gig in Belfast and we're like, okay, well now we can see Dublin, you know? And then once we'd done Dublin and Domo and Paul. that that gig in Dublin? You were at our first gig in Dublin, that's right. That's, that's how Domo joined the band. And it shows you, like, once you once you do each of these things, it opens up the next thing, you know. So we played in Dublin with Paul, our drummer's brother's band, Mass Extinction. Domo, well, that's, how, that's how I knew you, because I knew uh, Adam from Mass Extinction. Yeah, and then Domo, as far as I know, Domo was at the gig with his missus, and she was like, uh, that. Like later on, she was like, that band are looking for a guitarist, you should, you should audition. He was like, nah. <laughs> 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 he was like, nah, and she was like, no, I'd like, is that true? Yeah, you, you were like, no, 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 I don't, I don't recall, but I was, uh, I was quite refreshed, quite refreshed that night. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, I, yes. one, I think I was talking to you, but I'm, you know, it would have been one of, for you, it would have been one of those I'm trying to get back to the dressing room, and there's this incredibly drunk man, you know, poking me with his finger in my chest and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> There you go. Yeah. I don't remember. But yeah, like 20 years. You know what the best, with all the ambition stuff, the best was uh, going into the record shop and your CD being in the shop. That was the one for me, big time. Yeah. It's just like, it was so weird because like I was like a record shop junkie from like, I don't know, 12, 13 yeah. till, you know, till the MP3 basically. Like, and uh, it's just amazing just go and see your album sitting in a, was it Tower Records or whichever yeah. one was? Yeah, and you know it's it's funny. Like twenty years have come come and gone quite quickly, and it's you know as you say at, at one point it became this thing, and I'm actually really grateful for it. This thrash revival or whatever you want to call it, um, I'm really grateful for that because it gave us those opportunities. You know, we got a record deal and we got PR and we got to play shows and we got to go to America and those things were really amazing. I think though. You know, it's. I always 
remember that when we started the band, there was no thrash metal, basically. It was 2002. And what we were doing was playing shows with punk bands in Belfast all the way through 2002 to 2006. Six was the first time we played with another thrash band in Dublin, that gig we're talking about. And so for years, we were like selling our demos. And I used to have this spiel, you know, it would be a pound for the demo. We would walk around the punk club. We we would actually drink in my house. If we weren't playing a show, we would drink in my house in Belfast. Then we would walk to a rock club and me and Luke would walk around the club selling our CDs. And we had a spiel. We would say, do you like Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, SOD, Nutra, Assault and Slayer? And we would say it super fast like that to people. And they would kind of laugh and go, what the fuck? And because we and, and if they said yes, we would say, OK, that's that's what we're like. Fuck, we were over. We were over egging it at that point. <laughs> really overselling that shit that we were recording at that time but you know we were uh, you know we would have to explain to people what thrash was so when the thrash scene came along when that revival came along I don't think like many of the other bands were kind of like you know green shoots bands who had only just existed we had already self-produced our first record we'd already undertaken you know tours on public transport in the UK you know we had a real DIY aesthetic we had you know, been covered a few times in small blogs and stuff. So I think we felt like we were around before that had happened. And I think we were always fairly sure we would be around after that happened. Um, and, you know, that scene was good to us, but it, I think it needed us more than we needed it, to be honest, because we were already doing what we were doing anyway, you know. Um, but like, it's, and it's, it's, it's also amazing. nice to be sort of not popular as well. Like, you know, it kind of gives you a good perspective on the whole thing, you know, where I think if we had started off around the time of like Eric signing all those bands and stuff, and we had got signed, <clears throat> I think probably like after the whole thing was over, it, it, it might kill the band, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. <clears throat> where, where we didn't really care either way. It's like, uh, uh, you know, the English comedian Stuart Lee has a thing about fame is kind of like the weather. Like, there's no point in caring about it. It's just going to be whatever it is. And you don't really have any control. Like, Sorry. and we were kind of like that before we got signed and stuff, you know. So, Sorry. yeah, like, you know, we and even at that time when that was kicking off, we were saying in interviews, we were like, we've been unpopular before. We're not afraid to be unpopular again, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's us. Um, right. and yeah. So it's like, nice. it's like the way you, it's really nice to open for a big band, you know, because like you get finished at like, you know, eight o'clock and you can go drinking or whatever, instead of having to stay there till 10 o'clock to headline the show, you know? Yeah. And I think, as you said, we have, you know, what we are has changed over the years. And I think yeah. naturally these things do what you're listening to, how your body changes, changes how your music is, you know, uh, the things you're taking in, the environment around you, the fact that maybe you've written a certain kind of song 10 times and now you need to write it differently for the next 10. You know, um, I'm like, I'm really comfortable with the kind of thing we are as a band. Now, as you say, we're kind like we are a thrash band, we're a speed metal band, but we're kind of also a heavy metal band. And it's like, I guess, I guess these perceptions are just there to be had. And I'm really comfortable with whatever people think that is the the most important thing to us is everything to us has to feel like it fits us you know and well, sometimes those things are slightly different and sometimes they aren't you know but like we, we argue yeah, that we're kind of up for trying something new as well that's really another one of our things it's like i i often feel sometimes you know it's like i kind of think is what we gonna do anything new on this album or whatever and it kind of gets under my skin a little bit like but then yeah. we always we always figure out something like even if it's just a concept or whatever yeah. it is like there's always something like you know yeah you have to, 
You have to change something. Like I think a song like Sheer Khan on this album is or Ready Steady Goat, as you were mentioning earlier. Mm. I think they're very distinct uh, from other stuff we've released before. And for uh, while for other people, and you look at the YouTube comments and something like Sheer Khan, you know, a lot of people can't tell the difference between it and our other material. But to us, like as Damo says, there was a lot of push and pull there. That was very like this is daringly different material. Dare we do this? You know. Um, but uh, I think ultimately, you know, we, we made the right calls and things like that. And, you know, I'm like, I I w- was talking to my, my wife about it and I was kind of saying, look, you know, we're in a place with the band where I'm comfortable with, we're all comfortable with who we are as a band. We're learning how to, you know, uh, do it ourselves. We'll have good partners around us, like the artists who work with us and the people who help us on the business side of things and all that. And it's like uh, prosthetic as well. Yeah, they've been amazing. EJ is an amazing dude. He's really laid back. He is the guy Great who, made, yeah, and he's the guy who made fucking Mama 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 Mama. He knows he yeah, he knows he knows what he's doing. He's built much bigger bands. He's really laid back guy, you know. And I think having that team around us and stuff, I don't see any reason why I shouldn't be like fifty-seven and doing this. Do you know what I mean? I think that as long as we can do it in a way that fulfills us, and uh, you know, if they, if they don't mind us sitting down, like you know, on stage while we're playing. Yep. Fine. Yep. P.S. Right like now. Yeah, just be sitting down now. Actually, if if there's permission, I would like to sit down now. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys, it's hysterical. <laughs> Listen, man, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and the Ghost Cult listeners. You guys rule. I'm super looking forward to everybody else getting to hear this record. And uh, yeah, man. That just thanks for keeping at it and uh, keeping your heads up in this very tough time in the business. I really appreciate you. No worries, man. Sometimes I kind of think maybe the band all have undiagnosed ADHD or something, and that's why we stick at it. So I don't think we're going to be quitting anytime soon. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you. All right. Peace, you guys. Take care. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for checking out today's podcast. Follow, like, and subscribe wherever you hear these podcasts. Also check out Ghost Cult Magazine on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And finally, check us out at ghostcultmag.com. We're out. Peace.